0: I'm assuming this is not going to be included in the show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Righto. Well, let's start the uh, the show. Yes. And we are guestless tonight. Guestless. We no had, way. We had, we had two shows back-to-back with guests, which we've never done before. Whoa. To- totally threw me off last, last <laughs> show. Um, but we will be back with a very cool guest uh, in the next episode. I'm really excited about that one. Are you going to drop a teaser to who it is? I mean, we know who I will, is, actually. Yeah. He's been on the show before. <laughs> it doesn't really narrow it down, but <laughs> he's one of them. Yeah. One of and, them. And uh, he's doing really amazing things at the moment, and he's doing really well. So we are going to have him back on the show and have a, a follow-up chat. Yes. That'd be cool. Yeah, very excited. Cool. So what's going on in the shop? Um, Brian, why don't we start with you for a change?
0: Uh, busy. Uh, Good. all workbenches and floor surfaces are full um, mm. it's still just me in the shop and I'm just about on top of things mm-hmm. um, yeah the shelves are all fully assembled and waiting to be installed and just being held up by brass hardware in the United States Postal Service which I think is nearly here maybe um, but yeah like that tricky thing we always say like if it's an external thing that hasn't been caused by the client then what the hell do you do when you've got a large piece taking up all your workspace? you just got to sort of mm. deal with it, take it on the chin. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've got, I've got a reasonable Sorry, you're, amount of... You're the,
1: you're getting the, the hinges in from, you're getting the hinges in from the US?
0: Nah, they're not hinges. They're like little... Um, so the shelves are mainly for books, but in the centre there's a record player and an amp. Um, and we wanted to find a way of, uh, there's these 45 degree brass connectors that sort of, it kind of looks like, you know, the olden days when somebody would go around selling popcorn in a movie theater and the straps. So these, these kind of brass straps, and we were trying to find a way to connect the straps to the timber and whether we're going to use demon bolts or just a, a little, uh, nice brass fixing. And, um, we came up with the idea of using... Uh, kind of knurled brass knobs to sort of reference the the amp. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. Unfortunately, the only place that stocks them is in America, which makes them imperial, which means all, all your threaded inserts have to be imperial, which means you've got to get those from America as well. So, yeah, it's been fun. Is it worth... Is it,
2: do you think it's worth going down that road versus having someone turn them up? I mean, how many do you need? Just Uh, as a curiosity.
0: I was after eight.
2: Right. So so you could probably get Mm. it turned up, but you're going to be paying a minimum of an hour for for an engineer on a lathe.
0: Yeah. I think it was touch and go. Um, But, yeah, the only reason I ordered it from the States was the last time I got something from America it arrived in, like, three days. Yeah. Whereas this has been a month. That's,
2: That's... Mm. pretty normal these days I think eh?
0: yeah but that's okay lots of other things to work on Um, doing some more stuff for John Mortal Architects for their Sydney office and potentially going up to Sydney for an awards show may have may have picked up Up a sneaky award to Sydney for an awards that's for that table maybe I can't really discuss it okay (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Maybe. Oh, right. There, there may so be the... an award that may be linked to some kind of award show. So, yeah, we'll see. Oh, nice.
2: Fantastic. So that'd be nice. Oh. And so you all said you're you're flat out busy. Uh, are you looking at getting an intern back involved? Or is it just not Potent- on the
0: cards? Potentially.
2: Like, this kind of feeds back
0: into what I was thinking. Like, we don't plan topics on the show, really, when we have these chats. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking tonight might be a good... I uh, want to talk about um like managing anxiety and imposter syndrome and all those kind of things that goes with being a small business owner so yeah like everything's under control in terms of the workshop and it's allowing me to actually make a proper living which is great but the second that i take somebody else on i'm then responsible for supporting them so mm. it's kind of that balance. And then with a baby coming, another baby coming, it's like, how do I balance these hours? So I'm literally getting home from work, uh, bath time, story time with my son, you know, hanging out with, with Lanny for an hour and then I'm going back to work till midnight, like just Not on the real. computer doing quoting and designing and then back up in the morning and do it all again. And that's, that's crazy. sort of what it's been like for about two weeks now it's pretty brutal well, maybe, maybe longer actually maybe three weeks um, so yeah like I'm on top of things but yeah I just thought it would be a good thing to discuss yeah. just um, how how you have seen like weaknesses in your business how you've dealt with them like the, from the from the process of starting your business like where did you draw the line at faking it until you make it and then <laughs> when you've made it in inverted commas how has that changed
1: yeah, but before we get into that I just want to I just want to touch on something that we've talked about a, a bit in the show before. Just a, a smaller topic, and then we'll we'll get into it, Brian. But Joey, you've talked about how you you're not going for constant growth.
2: Yeah,
1: is this not potentially one of those forks now, Brian, where you're saying I, I'm going to stop taking work because yeah. of family life balance? Yeah, yeah,
0: I think there's definitely a bit of that. Uh, just like life balance. Yeah. Um,
2: you don't have to necessarily just, stop taking the work. It's just when you start straight off, off the bat, you start saying, well, I do now. It's like, when do you want this thing? Like, I'll stop yeah. a client mid-sentence. They'll be like, oh, I just saw you make beds. Can you make me a bed? I'll just yeah. say, when do you want it? If you want it in the next two weeks, it's not happening. If you want yeah. it in the next three months, we can talk about it. Um, mm. and, it and it's kind of a 50-50 split of people just hanging up and then some people continue the conversation So, and that's what you want to weed out straight away So, yep,
0: there's no point in dragging that out to two or three emails and yep. then a phone call it's like, I, I'm exactly the same, Joy. I'm like, yep. this is the current lead time that's if you place the order this week if you get back to me next week it might have gone out by
2: another two weeks that is the mm. trickiest thing and it's mm-hmm. kind of a bit of a side topic on itself but it's very difficult to explain, I feel like when you say to a client, if they say, okay, yeah, I can make your table in um, three weeks, but like you say, based on what I, the work coming in today, I could start it in three weeks. Now they wait a week and get some other quotes in or something. And then they come back to you and say, right, we still locked in for that three week date. Like, Actually, no, I just got two kitchen jobs come in. You're now going to wait an extra eight weeks. Mm. Um, yeah. And then it and then, then then throws them for a loop. Um, yeah. And it's really difficult to, um, yeah, to explain that, how we're I, not massive businesses, you know.
0: I've sort of found that from a client's perspective that it's probably changed a little bit through COVID and waiting for, um, waiting for everything to arrive by mail. They're sort of getting used to the idea of waiting. But I've mm. found it a struggle for me to say to somebody, like I've always tried to say 8 to 12 weeks. Yeah. You know, I like no matter what the piece was, and I'll just grind myself to the ground to get it done yeah. in that do 8 it. to 12 weeks. Mm. I don't think I've I don't think I've ever delivered a piece late that's been like caused by by me not finishing it. Mm. Um but now I'm having to tell people like, you know, it's 6 months out. And for me that's unusual because I don't have generally a huge volume of work, you know, I'm working on three or four pieces. Um but yeah, just managing my just planning things that far in advance for me is quite unusual when you know you have all these extra things on top of you like what's going to happen in my workshop what's going to happen in family life all those kind of things so mm. yeah it's causing me to I'm writing a lot more lists and yep. doing sort of daily checklists and trying to break things down into small chunks um somebody actually asked me but about the shelves that I was doing they're like Jesus that's a, that's a big it was a big thing to like, how did you cope with that? And it was literally like breaking things down into tiny elements. I'll deal with, you know, these, this part of the shelves that I'll deal with the miter cuts. I'll deal with the glue ups. And it was in such small chunks that I wasn't even aware of it coming together until the the first day of doing the big, the big dry fit. And then you're like, Oh shit, it's actually massive.
2: That's how I pretty much mm -hmm. take on all jobs now. And I'm not, I'm not really that focused on how big the job is. The only, the only, part of the job that tells me it's big is that the dollar value of the job mm-hmm. kind of gives you an indication of how many weeks you might be working on it but for me everything is broken down to today we're just cutting these this shape out or and by the end of the day i'd like to be here which might only be a 16th of the way through the whole job but you know i don't even want at to at least think we're about there yeah. um it just gets a little tricky sometimes when you know you have to get to a certain point so you can order like a piece of glass or something and then you're like well i know it takes going to take it two weeks to get the piece of glass so i need to get to here first and then it starts screwing with your brain about how much work you should be getting done to meet some deadline which probably doesn't actually exist
1: yep mm. well talking about faking it till you till you make it that's uh something that's because obviously i'm not as down this road as you guys are but when people have asked me to quote them on work or when I've said I'll give you an indication of time I've always had to sound like I know this is what the project's gonna be and this is how long it's gonna take and these are the steps and I, th- I think similar to what you're saying Brian then I just pull a figure and then it is what it is and then you've got to stick with it because otherwise you look like you don't know what you're doing
2: yeah never change your quote unless the client changes something but um that's when everyone changes as soon as a client makes a change just about any business or just suddenly find, oh shit! yeah now it's going to cost this much more because i actually <laughs> under undercharged for all this other stuff so <laughs> that one char- that one change is going to make make your job cost this much more yeah. um, that happens all the time i think Again, it's a excuse.
0: tricky thing like lot. in our kind of Antipodean sort of culture, like it is that European thing. I think we spoke about it with Damien Wright once, where, you know, we put expectations on ourselves to let your let your work speak for your business. Like, whereas you know the kind of American model of screaming, I'm you know this is Mm. this is the best. Buy it. I mean that's a mass generalization, but they're much better at self self promotion. Yeah. Whereas we kind of like to quietly self promote. And I think it's probably, in the long term, it's probably the best way to get work because you end up getting word of mouth and you build really tight relationships with clients that you've done, done good work for in the past. But it means that the process of building your business is so much slower.
2: Yeah, and it's an odd kind of juxtaposition because when you're starting out, you want work in and you feel like you should be maybe screaming from the rooftops about yep. how good you are but you're personally pretty conflicted because you don't know if you're good yet. Because <laughs> you're not good. Yeah, and you're not good. And so you, yeah. you might have... And I was always freaked out about this, having someone come to me and ask me to make something which I have no clue how to do. Mm-hmm. And then I'm calling myself a furniture maker. So what am I going to do?
1: <laughs> Until you're making something for the second time or the third time, yeah. well, that's probably where you can start saying... I'm no longer faking it, because yep. you've you've got it down. But particularly, Joey, for, for for yourself, you said when you started you wanted to do all the new things. That'd be pretty daunting because you constantly feel like you're behind the eight ball the whole time.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've said I said a bunch of times, I think, on this podcast when I first started, I, I I went out out of my way to practice these techniques which no one really ever asked for, but sometimes they did, but like. Crazy things, curb things, rocking chairs and, and cabriolet legs and things that I thought was the classic furniture, which no one actually wants anymore. But I uh, kind of taught myself how to make those things and I made, it did make me feel a bit more confident, but um, probably a waste of time. But
0: it's a, it's a bit of a sadistic thing, isn't
2: it? Yeah. That I think so many
0: makers and designers suffer from. Mm. It's like we've got to put ourselves through that to then feel as though we've got the badge.
2: Yeah, it's it's not until you see your work next to someone else who is a professional, mm-hmm. and just today I was doing that. I was looking at this guy's kitchen, someone else in the job I was on, and compared it to my work, and they were pretty similar, very close. Um, yep. And I thought, well, you know, actually, that's pretty cool that you could probably stand back and somebody would probably think the same person did both of these jobs um, they're close enough in style and fit and finish that it's pretty much the same thing so when you get to see that and it takes a while to get yourself in a position where you might be and even be like that but um, when you get to can kind of compare and then I find myself talking to those tradies a lot more now I used to kind of be scared like don't look at my work I'm just over here doing what I'm doing don't come and look at it but now I'll actually go over to them and say, "Hey, look, that looks awesome." I see. Um, usually, find something to compliment them on. It's a good way to start a conversation. But a genuine compliment of like, "Well, you did that detail really nicely." I can see what you're about to do. Um, good on you. Uh, looks awesome. And as soon as you say that to any tradesman, that's when it's genuine. You actually will probably make a make a good friend out of it too. It's a it's a really interesting, like, you see, my advice to,
0: in fact, reflecting on the things that I did to manage those kind of imposter syndromes, similar to what you were saying about, like, just, you know, learning and learning every new technique and trying not to do repeat pieces over and over again, trying to do different things, design them, make them different ways. Um, The biggest advice I could give anybody is, you know, put their work out there in exhibitions. And now that we're finally out of the COVID age where exhibitions weren't really possible, like putting yourself, putting your work alongside people of, you know, the same level as you and judging your work against them. So entry level, and then comparing that to the people that have been doing it for five years, 10 years, 20 years. Mm. And it'll become pretty obvious to see what the steps are that you need to take to improve your work, either the design of it, the build quality of it, uh, the finishing. But um yeah, that's in hindsight that's probably the best thing that I've done. And maybe it's just the fact that I haven't done it in a few years. I'm like, geez, i, I just wanna get my work out in public again. Yeah, are you entering something who in the who wo- you
2: are? Sorry, Robert. You go. I was just You go, Joe. I was just gonna say are you entering a piece, um, Brian in the the Wood Review this year? Yeah,
0: I've I've entered a couple of pieces in it. Yeah. Awesome. Um I've been to a fair fair few competitions, but they're all just online ones now. Right. Like, there's very few that are sort of done in person. Yeah, they keep emailing
2: me um, to ask me to put something in, and I've got nothing (laughs) that Mm. that fits any of the categories at the moment, so I'm just... They do have a bookshelf category, but I'm not sure if built-in bookshelves count, so...
1: Should we should we go vote for him, or is that a bit of conflict of interest? Uh, I should, don't we, think, should we get the whole... I don't think there's a public all the podcast vote, viewers, too. No, I don't... Nah, no, I I don't mean, it's a, a people's, vote, choice I it's all all people's choice, maybe. Did they have a
2: people's choice? Actually, sure. yeah, you
1: know, you're right. I can't remember. I can't remember if it was voted on. Not sure. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I'm, no. Um, but going back to what we were saying, I think you've also got to, from an imposter syndrome perspective, you've also got to consider... Who, who are you comparing to? Because in your example there, Joey, you talked about comparing it to someone else's work. The, the average person who's buying your furniture, it's a very different, very different level. Mm. It, I remember my old place, my neighbor, who was not a, a woodworker by any stretch of the imagination, was making coffee tables out of decking and, you know, sort of recycled timber. They were the most rudimentary things, which is a really nice way of, of saying what I want to say. <laughs> yeah. But he was making more profit on his sales than I was yeah. because that's what people wanted. So, you know, always, always keep that in mind. Yeah, there's
2: a bit of a... That, that kind of furniture, I think, just plays to a certain budget, you know? And the work that we all strive to do is <clears throat> not necessarily... Budget focused, but at least let us let us put put the time into a piece to make ourselves happy with it. And often that just takes more time, and we know time is money, and so pieces become more expensive. Mm-hmm. And so straight away you're you're lumped into um, this kind of luxury goods business, essentially, um, even though that's not really how we see ourselves. Yeah, exactly. But, they're but not it's the people that, that
0: we associate with, but you have to. <clears throat> engage with them to to run the business that you want to run
2: yeah and it becomes that old trope of can you afford your own work yeah, probably no. not no <laughs> of course not <laughs> that's a very
1: good one i've never heard that before it's yeah, really yeah. good
2: yeah it's an interesting thing to think about like if you had to hire yourself to build a, a dining table would you be able to afford it from yourself and it's like yeah probably not
1: uh, wouldn't, wouldn't waste my money <laughs> yeah
2: so um brian you mentioned before about anxiety about running a small business um, and about having a, a long lead time. Let's say you've got three, four, five months of time before you think you might get to a job. And what I've been doing, which really has helped, I, I keep surprising myself because I forget I do these things, um, was I make all these notes like. I've said this before, but each job I have a file and a spreadsheet and all sorts of drawings and stuff so I can just search on my, on my computer for the person's name and then all this stuff pops up. Um, and I'll make all these notes on the spreadsheets, I'll make all these notes on my costings, just about all those little things in the job. Where you, if it was only a week away, you probably wouldn't bother writing it down, just little... Um, like maybe you had to find a special piece of hardware... And you found this one supplier and you just, you remember where it was. You don't have to, but then six months down the track, like shit, where, how, how was I going to do that thing? I need a special bit of hardware. What is it? But if you've already got a link saved somewhere. And so these days I will look at my calendar. Okay. I've got this job to do and I'll just open the file and all these questions come up and then I'm like, oh, yep, there's a link. There's a note about how I'm going to make that a little sketch. And I've, I've, I've gone through all the problem solving already. So I can pretty much just get straight on to cutting timber because I've already just could take me ten minutes to kind of overview the job again, work through all the details I've done all the hard work, which takes more time at the first kind of client meetings and stuff but um, I think I find if 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 you don't make all these notes, um, your job ends up not how you wanted it to. <laughs> like you yeah. make mistakes in the build. It's just
0: things that are in your head and if you're working mm, on across multiple four or five jobs.
2: Yeah, and it's so easy to, to either um, have the jobs kind of mixed together in your head or just one just overlaps the last one and you've completely forgot. Like if you've ever tried to price up more than one job in a day... Oh, it's, it kills me. And, and you're like, shit, what? Have, have I even how am I going to make this? And you go back to like, I'm halfway through it and I'm, and I'm thinking about the other job still. Like, I'm like, what am I uh, completely backwards? So, um, the more I can make notes about what I'm doing really helps with the anxiety of the anxiety of what's, what's next week's job. Shit. What have I forgotten? It's all there still.
1: I like that. So are you talking about making notes for that particular job? So that when you are, six weeks into that job you've got those notes okay it's only like a digital clipboard or something
2: yeah yeah just even notes on my drawings on my sketchup i'll write myself little notes like and and even draw myself little uh detailed drawings about how i'm gonna do part a and part b is gonna meet together um just things that all the problems that would arise i try and get ahead of it so i don't have to spend them spend another day kind of redesigning a job already have already designed. I thought what you were saying, and this would be pretty cool,
1: is that you had found a system to itemize the job or parts of the job that get reused for the next job.
2: Ah, so you yeah. could go
1: through and say, <laughs> go through my folder for built-in cabinets. Ah, there's the plan. The well, whole design
2: plan, everything. I think we all do that, it's, but that's all in our head that's internal yeah like you say to yourself oh okay i've got to put a dovetail on there well i know how to do a dovetail so i don't need to draw that out It's just as mental note you know but you do need to at least allow yourself the time to do the dovetail so you need to think about how much how much how long did the last one take you know mm. yeah well,
1: that's a, that's a good way and i guess there's also some value in because uh, uh, your sort of entrepreneurial type people, your big business type people always talk about writing down your thoughts. It's just a good practice to be in to write that sort of thing, those sorts of things down. So if anything, it's probably just a good habit to get into because you are, I don't know, they use all these words like manifesting you, your thoughts. And then it's, it's a, it's a good, a good thing to do. So even just from that
2: perspective, it's, it's a good habit. Yeah. Thinking uh, ego, Brian.
0: I was just going to say like I find that like managing it in a workshop environment I do the same thing too like I would I have certain notes attached to spreadsheets and things like that and I'll drop hyperlinks in for hardware and I'll try to put in my calendar when I ordered things and when they're expected to arrive and then when they don't arrive that month and Yeah um <laughs> but <laughs> um but yeah, in terms of actually doing it day to day in the workshop, I find if, if I've got one job that has complex elements and simple elements to it, if I'm in a mindset where I'm not prepared to have the concentration levels to deal with the complex stuff, I'll give myself an afternoon off and I will just do some sanding or do some dressing or do this and then mm-hmm. come back to it. when I, I think sometimes forcing yourself to do it cannot be the right approach. Um yeah. i don't know some do you do you find the same thing or do you just you just make the jump into it
2: <clears throat> i I typically know after about one o'clock in the afternoon, my brain function goes way down yep and i but sometimes typically for me, the worst kind of a day is if I have to do a morning delivery or an install and I don't get back to the workshop till lunch and then by the time I've had lunch and whatever. I'm ready, ready to do some work and then I'm like shit I've got to actually think about this job I've got to like cut up some you know, kitchen panels or something they've got to be the right size and that's when I'll make a mistake but that's also I can't not do that because that's the job for the day you know so I've just got it's to funny, force I, myself I, through it. I reckon I'd be the
0: opposite if, if I do a morning install I find that I get a natural sort of adrenaline kick out of it Mm. that nearly sharpens me for the afternoon.
2: That's interesting. I, I wouldn't class it as an adrenaline kick. It would be like a massive sigh of relief. <laughs> <laughs> and that comes Adrenaline back, release. That comes back to the, <laughs> the imposter syndrome thing because yeah. I was just thinking about, um, and I still get it where, well, actually not as much because I was going to say, it used to come a lot from the fact that I I knew there was a flaw somewhere there was something that wasn't quite right on a piece and we all know that Mm -hmm. there's something that's not 100% and I used to like really weigh on my mind about shit is the client gonna like lie on their back and see that chisel gouge or something (laughs) that's on the you know whatever Um, Mm -hmm. and I I I think now I just I think the cure for that is just to do better work (laughs) Yep. Um, mm. And it's a sh- stupid kind of on one hand it's it's kind of a stupid idea because you you are already re- doing your best work but you can always improve. Um and I feel like the more you the more mind effort you put into the job and um actually will- willingness to to create something as, as good as you can it's going to come out better and you you will be more proud of the the finished result so there's less of that Mm. oh my god they're going to see the floor because it's really very minor and probably will never be seen if if there is anything Um, and i I felt like i feel like over the years that my um yeah i guess effort even though i think i was making a, a really good effort previously you just learn like What's going to look better? Should I sand for another 20 minutes or is it good enough? Well, let's just go for a little bit longer, you know, something like that. Yep. Just, just put a bit more effort into it um, where I can. or well, not even more effort where your efforts are, are better utilized. Mm. Mm. Yeah, knowing and- knowing what, what's important.
0: It was probably yeah. natural as your skill level has risen as well. Mm. Like these are things that you just learn through making mistakes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Your after the install afternoon, that's a perfect time for that. The notes that you've been taking. I reckon yeah. to to cover cover, uh, cover your your bases for that.
2: Well, exactly, like today perfect example we did an install and at the moment I'm making um well, essentially some parts of a kitchen and So unless everything is the same size in a kitchen and you can just rip, let's say you've got 15 sheets of plywood for this whatever you're making, Um, unless you can just rip everything down the middle to get your, the parts you need, and then you can just cut everything to length, right? That seems like an easy way to make boxes. But that's never the way things are laid out to get the most of your, your sheets. There's always some weird size thing. And This seems like such an easy tip, but I learned this from my dad when we were building, working out how the roof would be laid out and where the offcuts of the roofing material would go. So if you can imagine, if you've got a roof with hips on it, let's say you've got an L-shaped roof, if you've got a long piece of roofing iron and you've got to cut it on a diagonal to fit onto the shape of the roof, so the offcut of that can be flipped around and used on the opposite side of the roof. And so the, the best way to do it is to, uh, well, what he, what he would do is color code the roof, all the, each sheet of roofing iron. And this half of it would be colored blue, and then the offcut would be colored green. And he would color the other side of the roof in green, and so he would know where each offcut was going to end up. Um, mm. Otherwise, you end up with lots of offcuts that and a more expensive roof. Long story short, is that now when I work out my panels, um, I color code everything. So I just start with the paintbrush tool and whatever I'm using. And this panel's green. That comes from that part of that sheet. That's green. Um, and then, so I don't have to think too much when it comes to actually cutting stuff out in the afternoon. I can just look at a sheet and say, okay, half of this is green. That goes over to that part of that panel. I can label it, and I don't have to think too much about it. Um, and that really helps when you, when your brain get brain fade.
0: Yeah, Minimizing human error.
2: Yeah.
1: That was one of the biggest jumps, uh, for me personally, talking about imposter syndrome when I, and this is possibly a tip for everyone out there. When I started using SketchUp to plan my work was a, 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 a big deal. I'm sure for you guys having used this now for many, many, many years, the thought of not using SketchUp is, particularly for bigger projects, it's a bit odd, but I think everyone would start out at a place where they're not using it and it's all in their head and they'll figure it out as they go. But as soon as you make that jump to now I'm, de- now I'm using SketchUp. Now I'm designing. Now I'm not just a, a mm. weak in worry. I'm actually, I'm planning ahead and I'm, and I'm doing things. And suddenly you feel like you are legit.
2: Yeah. I think, um, Becomes a point where when you're making freestanding pieces I think you don't have to be on a digital medium as much because like Brian does a lot of sketches and it's pretty easy I guess I can't sketch like you Brian I'm not saying it's easy to draw but I'm saying it's easy to when you see one side of a freestanding piece <clears throat> you get a pretty good feel for what's happening on the other side when you start doing built-ins and things that are not freestanding you've got to then start taking into account the environment that's in and that's when i start started drawing it's like i need to make a cupboard but the walls are way out of square or the cabinets on an angle and instead of laying it out old school on on the ground or something you just draw it to scale on the computer draw the actual space And then you draw the cabinet inside of that. And that's, that's why I started with SketchUp. And then I was, I I realized it's a much bigger tool in in terms of, like you say, you start getting your design hat on and start saying, well, Mm. this looks better if I do it like this. So yeah. Yeah.
1: I reckon with what you've been saying, Brian, with the, the, how busy you've been, there must be a pretty good good feeling in terms of this whole discussion cuz you must be feeling pretty chuffed that it's impossible to not feel like you've made it at this point.
0: Oh, I still don't feel as though I've made it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I still like I I recognize that I've made like big steps over 10 years that now when I hand over a piece of work to a client I'm I'm proud of it. I know that it's a good enough quality, but if I can, I still find myself comparing it to other makers and going, "What would they have done? What would they have done with that?" So I still, I will always do that, Robin. Um, Uh, Yeah, I think everyone does it. It's good in terms of the fact that I feel as though I'm now getting work that I don't have to chase. Like, I'm not putting any money into advertising. Um, the only thing I'm doing is uh, doing like a three-month EDM to a mailing list. And that's it. Like doing a little bit of Instagram and a little bit of Facebook. But I find as though the work is finally finding me naturally. I'm not mm. sort of getting to the end of a job and going, shit, where's the, where's that next job coming from? Um, yeah. So that's good. But it, yeah, like I said, it's just, it's a different environment for me now like i think maybe 2019 i was getting close to this and then the last 2 years yeah. of up and down busy quiet busy quiet um mm. it's now trying to find my way back to that 2019 phase again
2: it's um cuz you mentioned how how you're making a good living by working well, I hang out. I did,
0: did I, did I use the word good? Well, I think I, said, I, think I said living, <laughs> I, I think, <laughs> I think I said making, living, uh, living. Yeah. as opposed
2: to yeah. a not living. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So you're making some money to pay some bills, which is good. Yes. Um, yep. but, and I, I was, at, I was where you were, where I was like, right, I could, um, if I keep working like this, that's way better money for me. Cause I don't know. I, I get what I think I deserve, but, mm-hmm. um, The workload becomes such that like you're having to work stupid hours and there's this massive way up and i did it for months and months where it's like if i get an employee to help me all that money i was meant to be earning you know half of it straight away goes over to them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so then i'm now working for minimum wage so what it means is you've got to get (laughs) twice as much work (laughs) yeah and then you're and like you've okay.
0: got, and you've got to do the chasing to find that work
2: yeah and then you go okay yeah. well at the moment I've got the six months wait list so that gives me a buffer because I'll get through that theoretically let's say I'll get through that six months work in three months so it gives you a bit of a buffer to get more work in but it's, it's such a like mental gamble because you're like well what if everything drops off and then I'm stuck with an employee mm. and, um, but once I made the jump and while I still do go weeks without taking money myself because I've got to pay overheads and the employ uh, employee, typically the next week is a good payday because the reason I didn't get paid is because I'm waiting for the, the big cash drop to come in from, from the job, you know? Mm. Um, and it's, it's tough. It's a tough call because you, you have to weigh up your own mental kind of, can I maintain this? Or should I pass it off to someone else and then go through the whole training thing and oh, you end up going five steps backwards for a few months?
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. I think, but maybe some of it is learned behavior. Like I look at the way my dad worked when I was a child, mm. and it was the same thing. Like he was always there for dinners and you know he was he didn't feel like an absent parent, but then every night he went to his office and he worked. Yeah. Mm. And then he'd be up in the morning and, yeah, it's... I think it's a little bit of... Like, I don't feel as though I'm getting burnt out by it. Right. Like, it's just uh, it's just a different kind of stress.
1: Hmm. But you're also doing what you enjoy. Exactly, well, yeah. I'd, I'd hope that you are. So, yeah, that extra no, like, work, and while it's it still work, it's, yep. it's, it's not the worst work that you could be doing.
0: 100%. And none of these jobs just... Uh, None of them feel like jobs that I would have overlooked if I was too busy. Like, they're all jobs that I'm like, yeah, that, that'd that be good. Mm. And it's come along at a time when I'm busy and I'm like, oh, okay, I'll just add that to the end of the queue. Um, and I've I've found that the number of tire-kicking jobs, job inquiries that I'm getting have gone way down. That's good. Mm. So I don't know whether that's a result of me doing my price rise in, in June or May, May, June. Uh, whether that's helped like it's weird yeah anyway just all these things i'm, I'm trying to process at the moment
1: we've also got to be careful that we don't when we're talking about imposter syndrome we're not talking about our woodworking skill and our business skill in the same way because those are very different so yeah brian you're from a business perspective You're on point. You're doing it. But that could be very different to how you feel about your actual woodworking, which I guess in a way is kind of tricky because as the business rises, your woodworking is going to taper off because you run out of time. It's a tricky one. Yeah. Or you just
0: end up billing more for your hours and doing less Mm. work.
2: Yeah. I don't know. know.
0: Like I was watching – oh, God, you guys are more into YouTube than I am. American guy with the funny mustache. Sure, narrows mm. it down,
1: eh? Mm.
0: <laughs> Stuff's quite good. I think he's based in the Midwest somewhere or is Texas, it? maybe. Not Johnny Builds? Nah, no, not, not him. Johnny. Um. Stuff's a bit better than that.
1: Mm, can't remember his name.
0: He's got a coffee shop at the front. I'm sure anybody that's listening is going no, screaming. I, I'm name right sure.
2: right now. Coffee oh, shop? Jesus it's Christ. has a long time yeah, since yeah. I've watched it. Hang on, a YouTube hang on. <laughs>
0: You guys talk amongst yourselves.
1: Um, I'm, I'm, I I'm trying to think of something to say now, but I'm just all I like can picture is a, <laughs> a, a moustached man with a coffee shop, which again doesn't really doesn't narrow it down because nah, like I'm, it I'm,
0: I'm selling him a bit short. Like his stuff's fairly contemporary and uh, definitely by American standards, I would consider it to be pretty contemporary.
2: Was that Third um, Coast Craftsman? No, nah,
0: nah, not him. Somewhere along those lines. I've yeah. got it's his Urban, name. William William, Muthin, Muthin. William
2: William oh. God William and in- William Co William Inc. Co- what's his name? Uh, William Walker. Yeah, William Walker. No. No. <laughs> this is
0: awful podcasting. Well, whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was watching one of his videos and he was saying that he um, I think it was a quoting thing that he'd set up. And his hourly rate that he was charging in not a terribly affluent part of America it was 125 US dollars an hour I'm like Jesus that would be uh, that would be an interesting way to, hey, to a, run a business in Australia. a one man
2: band I think he
0: employs god I'm gonna have to find this William Douglas ah
1: don't know William Douglas. never heard of
0: him I think he's never heard of him <laughs> no. god I hope that's his yeah it is William Douglas um, so like his stuff's you know got a bit of design to it seems well made it's all walnut because it's american um but yeah it was just an interest in i would have assumed that the quoting rates the labor rates in america would be pretty much on a par with australia whereas i couldn't build myself at 125 us dollars what's that 150 aussie dollars an hour well not yet
1: but I I guess the idea is that at some point
2: you you will raise to that. You know what's interesting is that the what I always found is that the size, we know about this, but the size of the job or the type and size of the job can kind of warrant the price range. Yep. Like most people don't want to pay more than $5,000 for a dining table if they're having something custom made. After that, it starts becoming very niche, you've got a, a very smaller amount of clients willing to pay $70,000 for a dining table. So you, so you take the budget and work backwards. Yeah, kind of. Or, yeah. and then, so you then, but then you look at something like a kitchen and people go, Oh yeah, 50,000 is going to cost me 50,000 for a kitchen. Um, yeah. and so straight away you go, well, actually a kitchen probably only costs like six grand. Yep. Um, and then labor and stuff. Um, and so, because with with a employee my charge out rate is about 115 120 yep um in most jobs because i've got to allow for me to be working on that job some of the time and him to be working that job some of the time and some of the time we're both working on it and i don't know how that's going to play out mm. so got to charge a charge what i charge and if if I don't work on that job at all, well, that's profit for me.
0: Yeah, it's yeah, money in your pocket.
2: But I also sat down and drew the drawings for an hour and a half and yep. whatever else and did all the train And, trend, and trained your staff stuff.
0: member to, so, to be able to, to um,
2: make it. I think that's why. And it's, I still price-like t- this week I've uh, had three inquiries for dining tables and chair sets and stuff. So I'm still getting those inquiries but they're a bit more tire kickerish than um, legitimate, I mean, yeah, legitimate customers. I, th- I feel, but, um, I, I think, I, I don't want to say that I price myself out of that kind of furniture with the labor rates. Cause when you look at a breakdown of any job, like especially when you're charging that the labor component is by far the, the biggest single component. Yep. Um, but it's certainly, it's easier to get jobs which feel bigger, like built-ins and stuff like that, because the price point kind of matches the size of the piece. Yep. And you can make it in just pretty much the same time as anything. So. Yeah. It's a it's a tough.
0: With probably less, like, not necessarily less risk to the to the job, but less risk to, like, you. It's it's within your skill set. It's not requiring you to learn anything new or mm. it's a make templates process. or new jigs or anything like that. It's like, this is a cabinet. I've made this a million times yeah.
2: before. That's right. And it's kind of like, I guess you might describe it as bread and butter, I suppose. Um, and that's, I guess, what is frustrating then when you get someone who's who wants a dining table and set of chairs. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay kind of rub your hands together but then yeah big money big money then you remember actually no it's i can't charge because sometimes you just have to say i can't charge what i need to charge for this yeah Um, it's just stupid money like no one's gonna Mm. no one's gonna pay for that and that's a that's a Mm. tough one because you either you've got to make the call of do i want to do the job just because it's cool and will be kind of a learning experience for me i'll probably barely break even on it if i charge what i feel like it should kind of what its price point should be mm. and that that's a hard one from then my, you're setting it. yeah my you're business setting. point of view is that no i just say no i want to make some money for my family but yeah my kind of artist i think side th- of me things says,
0: change things definitely change when you have a family like you're thinking every dollar is your kids you know yeah your kids future
2: yeah, and I certainly mm. spend less on frivolous tools and fancy things yeah. now. I just I just <laughs> yeah. run it to yeah, the ground. <laughs> yeah,
0: speaking about speaking about frivolous tools, <laughs> after spending, I don't know what I've, I've been teaching probably five weeks in the in the Victorian woodworkers, seeing their jointer has given me a massive jointer envy, and I'm like, <laughs> is it time to upgrade? <laughs> what what part of it? Descent. So How well, a big, a big, long, flat bed, and not having to change my combo mm. machine over a thickness oh, of right. all the time.
1: Oh yeah, geez, yeah. They That's, look; those things look like such a good idea. And I think because milling is a fairly short, uh, continuous task, you can get away with it. But so many of these multifaceted workbenches and tools you just they just seem like a pain in the ass more than anything just spend the money and 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 get two tools because you spend half your day flipping things around yeah especially, i think especially
0: if, you, if you've if you've got two people working in a workshop 100 then then it, it becomes a big a mm. big bonus to have the two separate machines like i haven't found it really limiting on i've got the jet um 310 i think it is helical head and it hasn't struggled in terms of power like I've had to replace one belt on it ever in eight years of using it. But it is just the flip up, flip down, flip up, flip down. And then in summertime, the tables move because of the heat in my workshop. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, something I'm contemplating at the minute. Have you yes, got any bro. ideas of what you're going to go with? I was having a look at, I mean, the, again, because then i go backwards so I was having a look at the Laguna, the new Laguna stuff. Mm. It looks quite good. Um, yeah. It's probably about where my budget would lie. And then I look at the Laguna stuff and I'm like, is it good enough quality? And then I dip over to the SEM, SCM stuff. I'm yeah. like, hmm, I could just buy an SCM combo machine. And then I'm like, but then I've still got a combo machine.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's just a better combo machine. Yeah. It's- mm. So, yeah, I don't know. It's... It seems like long beds are becoming very popular in the the uh, hobbyist space as well. Oh, so yeah. those should be those should be I, a lot easier to find. I would
2: probably um, see my my joint is two meters long. And yeah, but you've probably, got a
0: panel. you got a panel saw.
2: Yeah, but I wouldn't want probably any longer. I'd rather wide. I'd rather four hundred wide or something. And would you
0: really? Yeah. I have like I would rarely put anything more than about 180 oh yeah yeah so i'd be, just be looking an eight inch jointer would do me just fine I a often, wider thicknesser but an eight inch jointer i'd be be all right with that i
2: often am dealing with random width oak boards which are up to 300 wide yeah and and often it's just a case of well i have to rip it in half if, if it's got a twist in it all i can really do yeah. is rip it in half and, jo- and then join it back together but um it'd be nice to have the option of a big flat surface to run things over. <laughs> yeah. It's funny,
0: like I would always, my preference would always be to rip it in half anyway. Oh, yeah. Like just to reduce the amount that you turn into wood dust by trying to get warps and
2: bows and, yeah, and things Yeah, that's out. true. Like if, if your timber's really bananary, then um, yeah, you're probably better to so, uh, chop it so yeah but and it's anyway. not just
1: that i mean putting a, a 400 wide board through over a jointer you i mean if you're doing anything harder than you know oak you the, i mean a that machine's gonna have to be a absolute beast to put it through but you <laughs> also to control that is gonna just be a a nightmare
2: Oh no, it, just, it, made, it made me feel more manly to have a big wide jointer <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's just the, just one have of those this things. image of the board just getting launched backwards because <laughs> you've got to put a toe hit a tow rope on it to drag it through. Because
2: it's the kind of yeah. thing where I would probably use it perhaps as um, if you had to do like a big wide tabletop or bench top, you could do it in like three or four glue ups and then throw the glue ups into in, yeah. build your yeah, sections yeah. over the the jointer and then then glue them up as in their final assembly. Like that. Yep. That's that's a kind of thing. That makes is sense to really me. Really helpful. Mm. And like, if you were getting into the workbench game, you could do that with like a Rubo style workbench top or something. But you have only do that mm. once. So.
0: You've yeah. you've got an old um, three phase jointer, right? Big mm, no, my three, thing, my,
2: yeah? no, my three my no my jointer is fifteen amp. Right. Um, okay. Single phase. Yeah. Three phases for my saw and extractor.
0: Okay. But is it a big old vintagey like no, my, heavy jointer it- No,
2: it's it's um like a high end um DIY style. Okay. Um it's essentially I think a rip off of the jet. It's Chinese rip off of jet stuff. Yeah, you know, same yep. factory, different paint. Yep. Different um, paint, different sticker. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So it's probably eight, nine years old or something.
1: I've outed out my, because I've I sold my jointer. Hallelujah. Never want to see that thing again. <laughs> so glad to get rid of it. <laughs> but um, uh, Carbotech and Timbercon both do a parallelogram style long bed jointer now. Yep. So that's, um, I've, I've budgeted how much I need when I get back to the shop for all the tools I'm going to have to get. And um, that's where the majority of my money is going, is the jointer. 'Cause that I never want to have
2: to fight with that tool again. You don't have any of your stash of wood, do you? You got rid of all your stuff you were drawing, or? Yeah, I sold all of that.
1: Yeah. Um I had some pa- paper bark slabs. They were about a meter wide, probably about a meter square. Um, I had two packs of them. They were about maybe a meter and a half high. Oh wow! And. And I just cut them, and in at the time, I needed the money to get here to Tasmania. But now I look back and I just think that oh, I mean that was just <laughs> it was just so beautiful. the things I could have done with that, and that guy who that he was the 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 greatest man on the planet because he just took all the wood in one go, mm. two and a half grands worth of wood in one go, but he got the absolute bargain of a lifetime because I was desperate, nice. the amount of <laughs> he 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 cut so much wood for that money. Um, yeah, I hope he's putting it to good use. There'll
0: be other trees, Robin, once you get back up there.
1: Well, that's it. And now I've got a fresh new space to to fill up again. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, we better better call it there. Yeah. So, uh, bad time for, for joy. Yep. It's bad thanks time. Thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, don't forget, next show we're going to have. A mysterious guest. No, well, you'll uh, all recognize him when he comes on. But um, yeah, we're super excited about it.
0: Yep. And cheers oh. to everyone who's sort of given the, the Instagram a bit of a follow and dropping messages on there. It's uh, it's a much easier way to connect with people than just constant DMs on our, our personal accounts. So yeah, yeah. head over to yeah. the Shop Store podcast on Instagram.
1: Yeah, it seems to be working really well. Righto. Cool guys. Alright. We'll talk again in the fortnight. Yep, keep yep. on. See ya. See ya then. All right, take I'll it easy. On. Bye.